Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Come on, why don't you give it up for Jesus one time? If you're thankful you built your house on the rock, and it is good to get to build on something solid. And, uh, man, we had a first service was, was full. Come on, it's Labor Day weekend. And uh, we had two people give their life to Christ in our first service. Two people saying yes to heaven, um, yes to Jesus. That was amazing. And then uh, last week, uh, we had amazing man night. Come on, men. Come on. We had, we had 300... I think 300 men in the house, and uh, Coach Barnes preached the amazing word, and uh, we had a whole fraternity here, I believe. It was like all of Fike fraternity, and so uh, that was cool. And then, and, and then bigger than all that, we had 14 men give their life to Christ. Come on, four, 14 men saying yes to Jesus, and so I'm just so encouraged by that. And then next week, we do launch Connect Groups, and I, I just want to encourage you, uh, Connect Groups aren't something we do because we need more stuff on our calendar. Um, they're just, they're, they're something we really believe that life change and it happens in the context of community, in the context of having some brothers or sisters around you. And so I'd encourage you next week, you'll have an opportunity through all three services to go out. We'll have a rally. You can meet different people and see what groups are offered. And, um, and maybe you want to lead a group. Let us know. We'd love to have a group. I think we need a pickleball group. I thought people would say we need a pickleball group. And so you can use the things that you love, the things that you do in your, in your life to, to bring and meet around Jesus as well. Is, is it okay to, to bring Jesus into pickleball? Some of y'all need to. Some of y'all saying some stuff out there. Y'all need to bring Jesus into pickleball. Um, we're we're going to jump into uh, this new series uh, today. And um, it's going to be a little, a little heavier for the next few weeks. And um, the series is called Head Trauma. And we're going to be looking at the thoughts of just the different things that try to mess with our mind. The enemy always tries to mess with our mind. Because if he can get your mind, he can get your heart. And um, the battle's in the mind. We wage war in the mind. The Bible says that our weapons are not carnal. So we have weapons. It's in the context of, of fighting. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. So what the enemy's doing is trying to exalt himself against what you know about Jesus. He's doing everything he can to exalt things in your life of what you already know about Jesus. And so that our weapons, we can pull down strongholds. Can I tell you? that you uh, probably have certain strongholds, ways of thinking in your mind. That's how the enemy operates. And, and you can pull those down with the word of God. You can begin, and what I love is this, you can begin to love the word of God so much that you replace the, the, the enemy strongholds with God's strongholds. So strongholds aren't bad. It just means whose strongholds are they? And so you and I need to fall in love with the word. And so in head trauma, we're going to deal with depression. We're going to deal with anxiety next week. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever been anxious. Come on. We're going to deal with stress. We're going to deal with fear. Um, and so we're going to deal with some things that many times the church doesn't talk about uh, because we think they're taboo uh, to talk about. And so today uh, I'm going to deal with the sensitive subject matter of, of depression a little bit. And so um, anybody can be attacked by depression. Christian or not. And so I, I want us to be honest and have a place that we can uh, just simply not have to suffer in silence. Like the church, we should be able to talk about these type of things. And so whether you're watching online, you're in the room, um, we're going to create a safe place where we can have community and we can fight battles uh, together and we don't have to act like everything. We have it together all the time. And I say it this way, and this is really a heart for connect groups. No one should have to celebrate or suffer alone. 
I mean, you know, no one wants to high five themselves, right? And so, you know, you shouldn't have to, you ever got excited about something, you go to celebrate with your, with your guys or girls and they're not paying attention. You're like, oh, you, hey, you, have to, you shouldn't have to do that by yourself. We should celebrate with each other. We should also not have to suffer by ourselves. Anybody ever gone on WebMD and began to self-diagnose? Well, not, that's Satan's, that's, that's Satan's tool on the internet. Like Satan's job is, is, is self-medication and self-diagnosis. We have a culture, we have a, a, a world of self-diagnosis and self-medication. And, and, and the reality is I go on WebMD, man, I got an eye twitch and I leave with brain cancer. Somebody, I, I, it's like, what's happening? And, and, and that's how the enemy tricks our minds and makes us try to get isolated. And so we're going to look at um, Elijah today, very practical. I'm going to preach to you a little bit more and give you some practicals about just spiritually how to walk out of uh, some depression if you fight that. Uh, 16.2 million adults in the United States have had one bout with major depression uh, in any given year. Uh, nearly 49,500 people um, committed suicide in the year 2022. 49,500 people, that's more than twice the homicide rate, making it the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Here's the, here's the stat that gets me. Among the ages of 15 to 34, 15 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. I mean, just think about all the social media and all the, 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 the stimuli and all the things that are coming at these kids in our generation and, and just the, 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 the hopelessness that's hitting them. I heard uh, uh, one stat that two veterans a day take their life. And I, and I mean, I, I talked to one veteran. He was like, it's probably a lot to do with there's no community to talk about it. There's nowhere to get real. There's nowhere to be honest. And so as a church, we're going to be real and honest. The number one cause of suicide is untreated depression. And again, there's ways to treat it medically and there's ways to treat it um, spiritually. I don't, I'm not discounting any of those methods. There's all methods, but, but we have to, I think, always look at the spiritual root first and foremost and then, and then allow God to work in the situation. Here's what someone wrote about depression. Depression steals reality, which is, here's reality, in large measure defined by the complete justifiable hope in tomorrow's possibilities. Reality I love how they said that reality in measure is defined by the complete justifiable hope in tomorrow's possibilities. But depression replaces that with a world in which one doubts his or her abilities, discounts to zero his or her past successes, doubts love, doubts friendships, doubts God, and depression steals tomorrow's hopes. Uh, we don't talk about it because it's taboo, but there's many examples in the scriptures. Ecclesiastes, come on, Solomon was depressed. I mean, Solomon's writing in Ecclesiastes, the end of the book, he's like, man, what's the point of life? Might as well just, you know, go to work. What's the point? That's Solomon, like, the wisest man on the planet, a little depressed right there going, you know, there's no meaning. I, I looked up for all life and found no meaning. Really? Like at the end, he's finally like, trust God and love Jesus and enjoy life. And he finally figured it out. But, but it's like, he's a little depressed. Joshua, in Joshua 1, he's dismayed of life. It means depressed. First Samuel 25, 18, King Saul, he's in distress. He's in distress because God won't answer his prayers. So literally that word distress is depressed. King David, obviously Psalms 42, 43, most of King David's Psalms. He's like, man, why are you downcast on my soul? Moses, Moses prayed, God, just kill me. He's like, God, you gave me all these people to lead. This job is too big. Just kill me. Are you glad that God doesn't answer all your prayers? 
Thank, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer over Moses' life. Uh, Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. Jonah, just kill me, God. <laughs> just kill me. Job is obviously depressed a little bit. He's going through horrific stuff. He's down. He's depressed. Hannah, she couldn't have a child. It says that she's in the sorrow of her soul. She's, she's murmuring a prayer in the temple of God in sorrow of soul. She's down. Paul, despaired of life. Samson committed suicide. He's in the hall of faith, by the way. Oh, uh-oh. Um, King Saul committed suicide. Uh, Jesus was tasted depression fully by everybody, uh, for everybody. I mean, these are things that sometimes we just don't communicate and we have to talk about whether you're watching online or in this room, it's safe. Like you got to talk about it. So, so Elijah, I want to look at his life today. Here's the great man of God, miracles, power, prayer, signs and wonders, fire from heaven, all these things. And the apostle James and, and James says that Elijah is a man just like us. It means man or woman. It's, 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 he's human. He partakes of humanity just like you and I. That blows my mind that, that he's just like us. The miracles that happened for him, the prayers that were answered, the fire from heaven, the revival that happened. I mean, he called fire down from heaven. I mean, crazy miracles. Then he wants to die in these verses we're reading. What blows my mind is that he's just like you and I. What it's telling us is that there are ups and downs in this spiritual thing called life. That it's not just up and to the right with Jesus. Everything's perfect. No, no. That like he, he's just like us, this great man. What it tells me is that we, you and I, we walk in the tension of humanity, of partakers of humanity and partakers of divinity. The Bible says that we partake divinity by the scriptures and the word and the promises. We partake of divine nature. I don't understand it fully, but you partake. You have divine nature on the inside of you, but you also have the tension of humanity and ups and downs and miracles one day and, and upset and mad the next day. We can struggle with these things. So Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 9, it says this, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, I'm going to cut your head off in 24 hours. That's what Jezebel tells this man of God. I'm going to cut your head off in 24 hours. And when he saw that, and when he saw that, when he saw that, when he, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. He got all alone. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. It's enough, God. I can't take it anymore. Come on. Anybody ever been there? It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. That's a weird statement. Take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Then he, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and sinned and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a cake of baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. He was tired. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and he went into the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Come on, anybody ever had God ask you that question? Maybe I'm going to ask you that question. What are you doing here? How'd you get to, what are you doing in this place? Why are you still in that spot? What are you doing here, Elijah? God always wants us to be honest and identify where we are. 
The battle, the title for today is the perspective battle, the perspective battle. You and I are in a perspective battle every day of our life. I'm going to pray for you real quick. Father, thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you for divine nature that comes through your promises, through the word of God. Thank you that we can partake of it. Thank you for a perspective from heaven today. Lord, anyone dealing with depression or anxiety or fear, anyone having head trauma today, anything the enemy's trying to say or whisper to us, whatever he's doing, Lord, I pray that you would give us the authority by your word to take back territory in our thinking, to change our perspective today in a new way. We give you honor for it. We thank you in advance. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The perspective battle, my uh, son, Middle son plays football. He played football in high school and played in middle school, played since fifth grade. And uh, one, one year, I think seventh grade or eighth grade, we're in a game. And um, man, come on, any, any, any football parents or, or, um, or, you know, parents of kids in sports, you just, I mean, you practice all summer, you sweat, you sacrifice, you drive them around, you, you're ready for the season, you know, you, the game opener is about to come, you know, hit. Come on, Vols. Yes, somebody, in Jesus' name. And you just, you're just pumped for it, right? As a parent, you're ready, man. Your dreams, you got, and the kids are pumped, and coaches got them pumped, and, and their first game, my son's first game, we knew, we was like, okay, y'all been practicing, we got new coaches, we got new schemes, we got new patterns, we go out there, 44 to 6. It was bad, somebody. It was so bad. And, and I mean, the kids are depressed. They're down. Their heads are hanging low. You know, all the parents were depressed. We're like, there goes all the hopes of scholarships for my child ever. And that was a, just a circus out there. That was bad. You know, I'm they were hopeless. We don't have any hope for the next game. I remember this game. It's 44 to 6. And, you know, they rally you around, and they get the players there, and the coaches come around, and the parents. And, and I remember this, like, just, just like it was yesterday. The coach is there. I got my little seventh grader, little eighth grader. Everybody's down. Parents are down. The coach says, that's all right, guys. That's all right. He goes, you know, a few, a few missed calls. <laughs> a few misplays. A few drop passes, a few penalties, he just he's like a few, and this thing would have been different. You know, I'm just like, and by the end of that little speech, like, I'm like, we can do, like, we can, we can beat them next week. Yeah, a few, a few drop balls, like the whole game was a disaster. A few, I'm like, all of a sudden, what went from being pain and hopelessness and despair went to purpose of defeating the next opponent. Why? Because my perspective changed. He, he had a moment where he gave us just a little bit of perspective shift, a little bit of different insight. I don't know if it was true or not, you know, but, but the perspective changed. And now all of a sudden we had purpose for the next game, even though we face pain. You're in a battle for perspective. Whatever you're facing right now, Elijah's in this perspective battle. He's won the, the battle against the biggest enemies of God, 450 prophets. Fires come from heaven. He, he's literally chopped all of their heads off, had every, all of God's people chanting, there is no God but God. Can you imagine all of Knoxville chanting, there is no God but God. I mean, this is what's happening in this man's life. And all of a sudden he gets to this place where Jezebel, this wicked queen, she says, it says that she sent a messenger to him. Everything's going amazing, spiritual life, top of revival. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. She sends a messenger. Can I just tell you something? The enemy always sends a message to do his work. Satan will always send a message to you to do the bidding for him. He always wants to get a message in your mind. He always wants to say something to you with a message because if he can get it into your mind, he can get your perspective to change and he can get you on the run in fear. He doesn't like to do the work, so he just sends a message. 
He send, he, he, she sends this message and, and he begins to believe it. I don't know what message you're believing today. You're dead. There's no hope. You're, it's useless. I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I can't tell anybody. It's too nasty. It's too ugly. I'm all alone. Satan sends messages to you and I constantly. That's why you have to fall in love with the message of the word of God. Because Satan is sending messages second by second, day by day. And if you don't know the word of God, if you haven't fallen in love and replaced his message with God's message, you're going to be running for your life. And you and I need to have the message of the word of God. It says when Elijah saw that, verse three, and when he saw that, and when he saw that, and when he saw that, when he saw the message, when he saw the message, when he perceived it, when he began to visualize it, when he began to meditate on it. How do you see words? How did he see the message? It's interesting. It says when he saw the message that she sent a messenger, but he went with a message. And when he saw that message, when he began to think on it, when he began to visualize his life being taken from him, that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to give you a message. He wants to say something. And then he wants you to begin to actually meditate on that. And the reason he does it is because he wants you to perceive it. You're in the perspective battle. He wants you to perceive it because once you begin to perceive it, now it becomes reality. And once you believe it, now you're on the run from him and you had authority to stand, but Satan's putting threats on you so you will perceive it. Let me tell you this way. Years ago, I was in Florida. We were at the beach. We were in a little small 900 square foot condo with three children. We stayed 21 days. I'll never do that again in a tiny little apartment with three kids. We, 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 we were losing our minds. And so, and, and the first day we got there, um, you know, come on, sometimes you need a vacation from vacation, Right vacations are more like trips. A trip is not a vacation. A trip is a trip. Vacation is when my wife and I go by ourselves somewhere. <laughs> and for some reason, I'm, come on, men, we're always the one that have to check the noises in the night, right? My wife hears some noise in the middle of the new condo we've never stayed in. We're on the first floor. She hears something. She says, hey, I hear something. I'm like, thank God for your ears. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I, I don't hear anything. You got a good hearing. She's like, no, I need you to go check it. I'm like, I, I know, I'll put my life on the line right now, first day in Florida. So I go out, and, and, and you, know those, you know those luggage carts that you get at hotels and you can put all your bags on and they kind of go up their metal like that? Well, we had one of those bringing in the luggage and we brought it in and we left it right in the hallway by the kitchen, by the front door. And, and someone decided to hang a shirt on that. My shirt looked like a full-grown man standing in the dark <laughs> by the front door of this condo as I'm searching for intruders. Man, I screamed. I lost it. I'm yelling. I'm, I'm, I'm shadow boxing and kicking stuff. I'm wrestling clothing racks, you know? Oh, it is great. Why? I perceived that there was a threat that really wasn't there. Some, some of you have perceived a threat from the enemy that has no power, no authority, and you're kicking and screaming and fighting. And the reality is you could be standing. So, so I, I just, what, what is it that you're, you're perceiving that the enemy's spoken to you about that you're running from and God's saying you could be standing against? What are you running from that you actually could be standing against? I don't know what it is for you. She threatens him and he begins to go on the run. If you live with a threat in your life, it does damage in every area. Come on, you, you, could, you can be working scared. You can be winning scared. I can I tell you, I've been winning scared in my life before. You can be parenting scared. You can be in friendship scared. You, you can be running with a threat and it's doing damage and you don't even understand it. Pressure comes from perspective. 
And so you need to begin to change, and I need to begin to change my perspective. The enemy cannot get me running scared. No more running scared. Elijah runs, and then here's the progression of his, of his life with fear and depression. He runs, and it says, he leaves his servant in Beersheba. He's afraid. He's perceived reality. He gets scared. He runs for his life and leaves his servant in Beersheba. Write this down. For depression to be effective, it must get you alone. For the enemy to work this into your life, for, for depression to work, it's got to get you isolated and by yourself. It just, that's just how it works. It always isolates us. You and I were not created to live alone. You weren't. You weren't created to be alone. That's why we do connect groups. That's why we gather in smaller groups. That's why we have friends and people have faith community. You can't do it alone. God said it is not good for him to be all one, alone, all one. And here's the thing, alone, you can have all types of people around you. You can have hundreds of people around you. There's been times in my life I've had so many people around me, been at conferences, had pastors around me, and still felt alone. Do you know what alone is? It means that there's nobody you can be real with. Nobody can, that you can actually tell, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm facing. And so you begin to suffer in silence because you feel like you're alone. And the enemy's tricked us to make us think we've got to suffer in silence. And it's worse for Christians because if we ever face depression or anxiety, it's like, well, I got to hide that. I got to fake that. Like, I got to be good. Like, I got Jesus. I got to be good, good, good. I got joy, joy, joy. <laughs> down in where? Down in my soul. <laughs> what happened to David? Why is my soul so downcast, oh God? Like, we, we just fake it. Like, we can't talk real about it. I don't want to fake it. I don't, I don't want us to to not be real about it. And so we get alone and we've been lied to that Jesus takes all of our pain away when we come to the, to the cross. And the reality is, no, he doesn't take pain and turn it to praise. He walks with you through the pain. He goes through, and we think we're just supposed to have all pain lifted and all sorrow lifted and all depression lifted. Those are battles. When you think about King David, he says, although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, death is a shadow. Satan sends shadows that you have to walk through. And shadow means there's a, an obstruction of light. Shadow means light shining somewhere. The reality is that God's shining light and Jesus walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And whatever Satan throws your way, you can keep walking with Jesus through it to get to the light of his cross on the other side. He didn't take it all away. And I, I'm not, we're not called to fake it. I don't want to fake it. Jesus said this. He said, that 10 lepers, he tells them, hey, uh, go and show yourself to the priest and, and you'll be healed. You know the story? Anybody know the story? Hey, 10 lepers, go show yourself to the priest. And so the 10 lepers get up and the Bible, it's very interesting. The Bible says, and they are healed on their way. Yes. On their way, they're healed. That's why it's so important for you to get involved and not wait till you're perfect and not wait until everything's right or not wait until you think you have it all together. No, because on their way, they are healed. I'm on the way. Can I tell you that, that it's okay? Healing from these kind of things come through process and progress. I, I pray today somebody gets set free instantly by the power of the word of God. That can happen. But usually it's a progressive thing and it's a, a process where they're on the way. My wife will call me sometimes when I'm not at home yet and I should be there. She says, where are you? And I say, I'm on the way. And she says, okay, but where are you? I say, I'm on the way. And I can hear the frustration in her voice because she knows I have different meanings of what on the way means. <laughs> different levels of on the way. It could mean that I just have my hand in my pocket playing with my keys and I'm thinking about leaving the house. It could be that I'm watching the last play of the game, which is only going to be five more minutes, babe. 
It, it could mean that there's only a couple holes in the golf tournament to go, and I'm on the way. It could mean I'm just calculating about what time I'm going to leave, and I know that if I go 98 miles an hour, I can get there with two minutes to spare, but I'm on the way. I assure her I'm on the way. There's different levels of on the way. That's okay. Can I just tell you, you're in process. You're in progress. People say, well, why are you still acting like that? I'm on the way. Well, why aren't you totally healed of that? I'm on the way. Well, you've been a Christian 30 years. Well, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. Look at three people and say, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. As long as you're moving. People might be frustrated with your walk. My wife's like, where are you at? She's a little frustrated, but I'm on the way, babe. Don't suffer in silence. It's okay to be on the way. I have a mindset of going towards God. Elijah leaves his servant. He gets isolated. He hits more depression. Verse four, he says to himself, he goes a day's journey into the wilderness and asks to die. Great man of God praying to die under a tree. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my fathers. What is he saying? What is the context of that? He's saying, I'm buying into my generational curses. The depression has me believing that I'm going to make the same failures and mistakes as my family. That even though I just saw God do miraculous things in my life, I'm not any better than anybody else and I'm kind of hopeless for my future. I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than those last mistakes. Depression makes you feel like, man, I'm worthless. I'm hopeless. Kill me. I don't want to repeat the mistakes of my family. Like just, and here he is in this place where He's believing life is so bad. It wasn't bad. He just had the greatest victory that any man of God had had in the Bible ever. Life's pretty good. He gets threatened by a little lady and runs from this threat that she throws at him. He goes into the wilderness, a day's journey. He says, enough's enough. He's like, I can't take it. Here's the problem. She said this. She said, surely by this time tomorrow, I'll have cut your head off. When he runs into the woods from the threat, the 24-hour time clock is up. So he's still running from a threat that's expired. God's already brought breakthrough for him, and he's so distracted with depression, he's so focused on the enemy's threats that he's missed God's truth. Depression will get you focused so much on what the enemy would say to you and threaten you with, and the, the stopwatch on the threat's already up. I'm here to tell some of you, he threatened you, but that threat's over and you're still running. Like you made it this far. Like they didn't kill you. The relationship didn't break you. Like you got to church today. Like you're still believing. You're still worshiping. You're still coming in to an atmosphere of faith. Like it didn't stop you. You don't have to keep buying in to the threat that the enemy throws at you. God wants to encourage you today. Come on, you've got purpose over your life. If he's brought you this far, there's purpose on your life. The Bible says Elijah falls asleep under the tree at this moment. Here's the real reason, one of them, a big reason for his depression. I'm just gonna get practical for a few minutes. He's tired. He's extremely tired. It's tiring chopping 450 dudes' heads off. I've never done that personally, but that's, tiring. that's a tiring day work. He's built an altar. He's called fire from heaven. He's, he's prayed. I mean, he's tired. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't slept right. Some of you deal with some things in your life because you don't take care of yourself. You're tired. Like, I'm, I know you're like, this is church. Give me a spiritual answer. This is sleep is spiritual. You're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And if you neglect any of those three, it wreaks havoc in every area. 
So some of you don't eat healthy. You eat horrible. Like you're like, well, I can't afford to eat healthy. You can't afford not to eat healthy. And so just, I mean, just a little, a little bit of diet, like a little bit of healthy eating, like a little bit of sleep, like you're up scrolling 2 a.m. I mean, people like, they got to be places, they got to work. Come on, they got, I'm up at, I stay up till 2, 2.30, like go to bed. Can I just be dad for a minute? Like go to bed at 10 p.m. Wake up, talk to God. Well, I'm a night out. No, you're not. You ain't an animal. You're a child of God. I mean, here's a big one. I'm going I'm to drop this one on you. Exercise. Let me look in the camera. Let me look in the camera. <laughs> Exercise. I'm just, some of you are depressed because you don't exercise. Do you know they've proven that exercise is one of the huge, biggest cure, cures for depression? We got I'm just got to be truthful with you. Like, like I know when I don't exercise, when I don't work out, when I don't, I'm down. I'm, I just, I get, my soul is down. Your soul is connected to all of it in your life. So here's just, he's tired. He's hungry. He's, he's asleep. He, he, he's been through all kinds of stuff. And here's what happens. The angel, this angel shows up and starts to make a cake for him as he wakes up. Starts to feed him and starts to give him some energy and some strength supernaturally. You, you, need a, you need supernatural source of food from another perspective. You need God to begin to feed you from a different perspective. Something from heaven, a heavenly food. The angel begins to feed him. That's where we get angel food cake from, right here in this scripture. <laughs> begins to bake a cake for him. God knows what you need. God knew what he needed. His soul needed fed. The angel bakes this. Come on, God knows your marriage. He knows your money. He knows the rent's due. He knows the problems. He knows the kids. He knows all of the stuff in your life. And he's baking a cake on your behalf right now. I just want to encourage you. Heaven is cooking something up for your life. You might not see it. You might not know it exists, but you might be tired. You might like enough is enough. Oh God, an angel is actually making something for your life to bring you to where you need to be. Don't quit. Don't die. Don't give up. Don't, don't shrink back. Come on. You can make it. God's got an angel for this man. You don't think he has that stuff for us? I'm not going to faint. Oh God, I know you're working on my behalf. He's dealing with his depression. And this is what the angel says. Feeds him again. Can I tell you, you, you the food that got you here won't get you healed. The perspective of what you've been eating that got me here won't get me healed and whole and where I need to be. There needs to be another source. And the angel says to him, hey, eat again. The journey's too hard for you. Write this down. When you're dealing with depression, allow yourself the luxury of honesty. Like, this is too hard for me. I need supernatural help. I can't do this on my own. I, I, I'm going to be honest with a counselor, with a friend, with a connect group. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be transparent. God will only heal what you reveal. And, and, and the reality is we have to say, okay, I need to eat again. I need some source from heaven. I need some supernatural source. The, the journey's too tough. What God is saying is there's going to be another battle ahead of you. There's going to be another fight. There's going to be another day, but there's hope. There's a new perspective. There's new food. On your worst day, an angel is baking you a cake, somebody. And you can count on that, that God's got breakthrough for you. He goes 40 days and 40 nights without eating, supernatural. 
then he comes to this cave, and I'm going to pray for you here in a second. We see his depression take a real dive in this cave. His perspective is so skewed. He says this in verse 9, and there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God wants you and I to be honest with where we are. Verse 10, here's what Elijah says. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and I'm the only Christian in Knoxville. (laughs) And they seek to take my life. His perspective is totally wrong. All of what he said is totally wrong. It's It's all a lie. Actually, what happened was he prayed, God heard him, he built an altar, fire came from heaven, licked up the water, sacrificed, 450 prophets died, had their heads cut off, and all of Israel went into revival. No God but God. Can you imagine all of Knoxville? There's no God but God. I mean, that's a pretty good day. And every single perspective of what he laid out was wrong. I'm the only one. There's no hope. Let me just say this to you. The wrong perspective will always perpetuate self-pity. And if you and I deal with self-pity often, then the reality is we need to ask God to give us a perspective change and give us a perspective shift so we can see from heaven's perspective in a new way because I don't want to walk in self-pity. Verse 11, then God said, this is how God changes his perspective. Then God said, go out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind. He tore the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. You've heard the story. He was not in the earthquake, and he was not in the fire. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in it. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God was in. Yes. (laughs) Hello, Lord. Um, God was still in the small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it. When he heard the still small voice, he wrapped his face in mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He gives the same answer a second time, still full of self-pity, still full of doubt. He goes, I'm the only one left. And God speaks to him on this mountain. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. We got to rewind. Do you remember the mountain Sinai that Moses was on when Moses was wanting to meet with God? Do you remember that mountain had fire, earthquake, and wind on it? He had the, three, the same three things that Elijah faces here. Many theologians believe that Elijah was in the same spot that Moses was in. That when Moses went up to the top of this mountain, Moses is up there and he's wanting to talk to God. All of the people are scared to talk to God. They're afraid of the judgment of God. They're scared that God's going to judge them. And so they can't speak or talk to God. And what do they say? They say, Moses, you speak to God for us because we're too scared of the wind and the fire and the earthquake and the judgment. So Moses goes up and meets with God face to face. And what does God do? Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, I I can't show you my glory and you live. So I have to hide you in the cleft of the rock. The cleft of the rock is this cave. Theologians have, have traced it to this cave. I have to hide you in the cleft of the rock. Show me your glory. He hides him in Jesus. Everybody knows he hides him in, symbolically in Jesus. What is Jesus? The glory of God is the grace of God. Yes. When you want to see his glory, I want to see your grace. What is that? It's the still small voice. It's the face to face. It's not being judged and, and consumed by the earthquake, the fire, and the wind. It's going through depression and not allowing the depression or the, the wrong perception to disqualify me from my purpose. Being able to go, God, I need your still small voice. And Elijah now is in the place of grace. 
The wind doesn't consume him. God's not in it. The fire doesn't consume him. The earthquake doesn't consume him. But the still small voice begins to speak to him. Can I tell you that God always whispers grace to you in what you think is your grave? And the thing that you think is a grave, I've had enough, God, he'll begin to whisper. What does God do? What does he do? How does he get him out of it? He says, hey, go out from here. Go out. Get out. Two times, go out from here. Get out of the cave. I just want to say to some of you, sometimes the greatest grace you need is to to go again. Sometimes the greatest grace we need is to believe again, to love again, to heal again, to join again, to pray again, to go out again. He says, hey, Elijah, I want you to go out. I want you to anoint all these people. I want you to go find Elisha and anoint him. You know, Elisha's name means salvation. It's purpose. God says, hey, you're not done. You still have purpose. Some of you are in depression and you've got this wrong, deadly perspective and God's saying, no, you're not done. You've got purpose. Jezebel's threat actually drove him to Elisha, salvation. Jezebel's threat actually drove him to purpose. Jezebel's threat actually drove him to what he was called to do. Come on, the depression can't kill you. The cutting can't kill you. The hurt can't kill you. The abuse can't kill you. Everything that they tried to kill you, it can't kill you. The threat can't kill you. It actually drives you to the grace of God. And my prayer today is for peace of soul. Whatever maybe is for you that that every runner in the room could rest. I pray that every runner in here could rest. You're depressed because you've lost perspective. That your steps have been ordered. That his word is a light and a lamp. That he's put a rear guard and a a guard around about you that his name is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe that your hairs are numbered and that he knows you're coming and going that you're rising and lying down that you're you're blessed as a man or woman of God you've lost perspective you're not meant to die you shall live and not die and declare the works of God that God has a purpose and a plan for you and my prayer is rest today maybe you're in this place like enough's enough I can't I can't take it. I need supernatural help. Today's your day. I can't do it by myself. Today's your day. I don't want to suffer in silence. Today's your day. I need strength, oh God. You got angel food cake on the way today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for just a higher perspective today. Lord, we all battle with our perspectives. We all battle with what we see. And the enemy sends messages. Lord, every avenue he can send them. Sending them through social media, sending them through the news, sending them through. He'll send a message, Lord, to get our perspective wrong and to shape our reality. I pray for any reality that's not a God reality this morning. I thank you for breath and air and purpose today, oh God. I thank you that you've saved us and you've brought us beyond every threat that's ever been thrown at us. That that threat couldn't kill us, didn't kill us. That we're still here. We're standing, breathing, believing, Lord, for you to Give us rest today. No one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you'd say, Pastor, I've been running scared or I need supernatural help. I can't do this by myself. I I need God to intervene. I'm tired. I I don't want to deal with this on my own any longer. I need some help today. Would you just put your hand up to me? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not going to run scared any longer. I'm not going to run like this. I see hands across the room. I'm not not going to suffer alone. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. I, I need supernatural help today. Father, you see every hand that went up. If you're watching online and you need help right now, just type in. I need strength. Just type in, pray for strength right now. Type that in. We want to pray for you. God, I pray for supernatural strength. 
Lord, when we can't see it, when we're on the edge of enough is enough and we're ready to quit, Lord, any, any depression, any suicide, any cutting, any panic, any pain, God, would you just drive that out of our life today? Would you put peace into our mind today? Would you put the message of your cross that Jesus, you paid the greatest price, God, you died in our place to give us strength and courage to face today? Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you chase off depression by any means necessary. That every bit of head trauma would be healed today in a supernatural way. God, I pray for resources in our community, resources in our church, with our pastors, that people would be bold enough to get help. There's no shame, Lord. And then if you're in this room, just for another second, maybe you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. You've come to church or someone invited you, but you've just kind of been around the peripheral. You know, you know about Jesus, you know about church and all that, but you've never actually given the leadership of your life to Jesus. You've never trusted him for a fresh start with God for your eternity. The Bible says this, that Jesus came to this planet, died a ruthless death in my place, in your place, took my sins, my mistakes, we all have them, took my shame, my guilt, all of the horrific things I've ever done or thought of, took all that, nailed it to a tree, died in my place, took my punishment, and then rose from the dead to give me a fresh start with God, to make me as clean and as fresh and as free as I'll ever be. Maybe some of you have been running and you're tired because you've been running your own life. Do you know how hard it is to carry your own weight and to carry your own life? to carry your mistakes and the sins and the guilt and all that that the enemy throws at us. Today could be your day to actually run free. The Bible says this, if you would just believe that Jesus died on that cross, believe it in your heart and believe that he rose from the dead, you get a fresh start with God. No one looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you or judge you. If you're watching online or you're in this room, no one's, there's no embarrassment. But if you know you need a fresh start with God, if you're ready to say, you know what, Jesus, I can't, I can't carry this on my own anymore. I, I believe that you're God. I believe you did what you said you did on that tree. I believe you beat death, the only one that ever did. And I can trust my life to you. I'm ready to surrender. If that's you, no one look around. Would you just put your hand up right now? That's me. Pray for me, Pastor. That's me. I need a fresh start. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your honesty. I need a fresh start today. Come on, thank you for your courage. Thank you for your honesty. If you're online right now, just type in fresh start. I need a fresh start. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the house right now. Pray for anybody that made that decision. If you didn't put your hand up and need to, put your heart up right now in this prayer. No magic in the words. It's just a prayer of surrender. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you came to this planet and died for me. I believe you took my sin, my shame, my guilt. You took all of that, God. You nailed it to a tree. I couldn't make myself right. You did it. I repent from my old life. I repent from leading my own way, and I turned to your way. And then I believe you rose from the dead. You didn't stop. You beat hell. You beat death. You beat sin. You beat the grave. You rose from the dead to give me a brand new heart. God, fill me with your spirit. Give me the strength to serve you and live for you the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' matchless name. Come on, let's give God praise in this place. People all over the room. If you're watching online, I'm proud of you. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.